Now I want to walk through the events uh, leading to the culmination of the age as I have laid them out. Beginning with the destruction of the economic system resulting from the harlotry uh, of the woman. There was, in, in this economic system, to just backtrack just a bit, this economic system is based upon greed and the gain of this economic system is for the benefit of those who control it. Now, let me compare for a moment uh, the economic system of the Kingdom of Heaven and the economic system of greed, of, of, of gain. Gain motivation, gain is a result, the motivation toward that result is greed. Underlying greed is the motivation of self-preservation because as compared to the economic system of the Kingdom of Heaven that relies upon a fundamental assumption that we are the sons of God and therefore our Father is our provider and our storehouse that all that we have comes from Him, belongs to Him and He continues to exercise uh, sovereign direction over what we do with what we have, what He gives us. So we observe, for example, that in the early church when there was a famine in Jerusalem, there was an arrangement by which everyone would be cared for so that no one had a need. And that's because the assumption is that the brother is more important than the thing. So if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between the two of you. If you have a dispute over some matter, the objective of gain is your brother which means that your brother is the highest value in the economic system of the kingdom to be gained at all cost. In the economic system of the cosmos, you don't have a brother, you're an orphan. You have no father, you have no brother. When Adam descended in, into the depravity following his separation from God, his father, his mindset changed. It changed from being the son who was put by the father to rule over creation to that of perceiving himself to be just one of the objects of creation. Whereas before he was clothed in the glory of God as befitting his status, a son, heir and viceroy, he perceived himself as 
just another unclothed uh, or just a, a, a person unclothed by comparison to the beast of the field that all had clothes of skin. They had uh, fur in many instances. His point of reference was no longer the glory of God with which he was clothed, but rather his vulnerability in creation, his vulnerability to the elements for one thing. So he made clothes for himself. An orphan sees himself as his only resource. As far as the orphan is concerned, no one will ever give him what he needs. He must provide for himself. So any measure of rule or dominion that an orphan has, he works it to the end of his own provision and protection. You know who orphans are because whatever they have control over, they're going to turn it to these two predictable benefits, provision and protection. I've done a lot of work in this area. You should read the book, My Father, My Father, and I've established all of this uh, to be be understood and to be reviewed in, in minute detail. A son, on the other hand, recognizes that God is his Father and that all that he has belongs to the Lord. So the son acknowledges his dependence on the Father. And by the way, just to mention it, the tithe is that, where you acknowledge your sonship and utter utter dependence on the Father by returning that portion that the Lord intentionally reserved for for one who who is a son to be returned to the Lord in recognition of the fact that all of it is from the Lord and he may depend on it absolutely because he's a son. Anytime you see people who have great difficulty tithing, they still have retained the culture of an orphan and recognize that they are their own supply. The danger of this is how susceptible one becomes or one remains, because one never exits it, how susceptible one remains to being deceived by fear of lack. The driver behind the economic system of the cosmos is the fear of lack. And orphans operate from the perspective of lack. So, an orphan will kill his brother or an orphan will kill his competitor because even if his competitor is his brother, natural brother, his love for a natural brother does not exceed his desire for provision and protection. Beginning with Cain and Abel, 
the notion of killing the competition was born or at least was manifested in the earth. Greed is a motivator but the foundation is living in the anticipation of lack. When that system, beginning as it did with just a few participants, when that system becomes the manner of subjugation for the whole earth, the instrument of that subjugation being this beast with seven heads and ten horns, the, the same concept of the orphan is what dominates the system. So you can be threatened with the, the prescriptions of being not able to buy or sell unless you have a mindset to accept the terms and conditions set forth by the beast who uses the human tendency to live in anticipation of lack as the driver to frighten the, 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 the human population, to frighten them with the thought that if they do not have this mindset, they can be excluded from that which they need for their provision and protection. You notice I'm specifically referring to mindset as opposed to mark because that's what it is. It's a mindset. There's no physical mark on the forehead or physical mark on the hand. No more than there is a mark or name written across our foreheads who are the sons of God. We have the name of our Father written in our forehead because that too is reference. That's not some kind of a tattoo or implant of electronic chip for monitor. It's not that. I mean, there may be these things, people put them in their dogs all the time, uh, you know, uh, to keep track of where. But that's not it, it's a mindset. The enemy will give us all these red herrings, and while we're waiting for the chip to be implanted, our mindsets have already been thoroughly co opted to believing that we must depend upon these systems of the cosmos rather than depending on God. And to that extent, we don't need to be chipped. The church is already there because the church is fighting to maintain a system that by and large gives it the privilege of, on which its desire for provision and protection depends. And as I said, one is the mindset of the orphan one aspect of this economic system, one driver of this economic system is the mindset of the orphan which fuels greed, mindset of the orphan being, I am all I have, my provision, my protection depends on me. The greed is, 
you're never sure if you have enough. No matter how much you have, it's not enough for what your ambitions and your desires may be. So you'll give up, you'll give up sovereign control over your own life and surrender it to the requirements of getting, of doing what is necessary to get what you think you need. This parallels perfectly with the mindset of a harlot. One of the permutations of the orphan mindset is that of harlotry. Harlotry is more a practice based upon this mindset. What do I mean by that? Well, a bride, by contrast, submits, a bride in the fashion of Christ and the church, submits to oneness and union with the husband. And the basis of that is love, where the bride knows that the husband loves her and the husband knows that the bride loves him in the manner of manifestation that has to do with obeying him. In in her obedience, her love is shown. In his self-sacrifice, his love is shown. But they're both the different facets of love. So a bride is vulnerable to the husband and depends upon his good nature for her security. Harlot doesn't do that. The harlot takes matters into her own hands. She has a bargain for exchange. Now why in the outcome the bride is one with the husband, so all that the husband has belongs to the bride, all the bride is belongs to the husband, but this is the embrace of love. This doesn't work transactionally. This is not a relationship that's like a transaction. No, this is an integration for the purpose of identity. As long as you maintain a separate identity, you're going to have a transactional love and it's no love at all. It's you get what you need and you give up what is expected of you to get that that you need. That's transactional love. It's not love, it's business. It's the business of harlotry. Some cultures actually glorify that. They glorify using what you got to get what you want. It's a very popular thing even here in America, even in the church. What you got is your asset to gain what you, what you think you need in order to be fully stocked, fully supplied. So the mindset of the prostitute drives the rules of business. The mindset of the prostitute drives the rules of business, what we call ethics. 
business ethics. At the bottom of it all is how does this benefit me to the extent that I'm indispensable to the enterprise or to the extent that I own the enterprise. As I said before, a righteous ruler, even in this form, will place the well-being of his employees above profit as a simple example. Why? Because it's a type of valuing the human element over the detached and disembodied version of the profit motivation. Now, if that's philosophically what underwrites the business model, then you're depending on God to make it work. But the other, you're right back into the sweat of your brow. So the whole matter ties up together. And the one that has legitimized this concept that greed is good is actually the harlot church because as far as she's concerned, this is the only motivation. You're never going to arrive at the status of oneness with Christ, so what can you get? Well, it's what you give to Him. And I'm amused about, I'm amused so often to hear some of these fellows talk about it because they know not what they do. They talk about, let's do something good for God. And the whole idea of giving to get, that's the mindset of a prostitute. No, you don't have to be prostituted if you're a son because the whole house is yours. That's what the father said to the son who had remained at home and did not become prodigal in the sense of departing from his father's house. He said, son, all that I have is yours. If you understand the concept of sonship and God as Father, we are His generations on the earth. He doesn't need resources. Whatever He needs, He can create. He doesn't need resources. Everything He's put together on the earth was designed to support the presence of His sons on the earth and all that he's doing in the earth, doing on the earth in his sons. Totally different mindset. So one of the things that will collapse is this economic system that's foundationed on a philosophy of harlotry, a philosophy of independence and greed, while being terrorized by the fear of lack, not having enough, operating from a posture of lack. That system will be stressed to the max in times of famine, in times of warfare. In fact, with warfare will come famine, disease, And that's what we read about early on in the book of Revelation with the four horsemen. 
certain measures of barley for a day's wage. When you have scarcity created as much by war and famine and the additional pressures of war and famine uh, and disease, mankind in this system will turn on each other. Brother will betray brother. A man's enemies will be they of his own household. Fathers will turn in their sons as violators of uh, global standards because this lawlessness, which is biblically referred to as iniquity, because lawlessness or iniquity shall abound, the love of most will become cold. The thing about a harlot is her heart is cold. The most intimate of interactions have no emotion to them, purely transactional. And as they show up in the collective order of this global system, she intends to be wealthy. She intends to have the wealth and position of a queen by supplying the imprimatur, supplying the ideology of divine grace. When it has nothing to do with divine grace, it has to do with carnal greed because she will not submit to a husband. She will never be integrated into something corporate. She's always alone, always an orphan, always self-reliant. The pressures that will come from the horsemen uh, delivering their plagues upon the earth and subsequent things that we've been talking about throughout the book of Revelation, those pressures will break the system and it will collapse. It will collapse. This is how the harlot's power is destroyed. Her words no longer work. Her promises are no longer valuable. Her affections have become dry, brittle, and undesirable. She will work herself out of a job. She hates the saints because they remind her of what the true bride looks like. And she will use the power of the beast upon which she sits, which is, which is a metaphor for uh, the exertion of influence. She will use the power of this beast on which she sits, this global system for the control of mankind and that control being effectuated by the economics of inclusion, buying and selling, and by the threat of annihilating any obstacles to uh, that rule, she will use that power, military threat, economic threat, 
to reduce and obliterate any kind of opposition uh, to a rule and she'll turn that furor turn, by turning the head of the beast against the saints and for a while will prevail against them. But as she is destroyed, the focus will, be, will come to be on the destruction of the beast that supports her in her harlotry. Now, the beast has an appointment with judgment and in the book of Daniel we see that, and the reference is Daniel chapter 7 verses 17 through 27 and here's what it says, speaking of the final judgment of the beast, the following is said, Daniel 7, 17 and following. Speaking of the kingdoms of the world, the four great beasts are four kingdoms. But then the fourth beast, which has all that capacity, ten horns, and destroys the earth, uh, pressing down and oppressing people, then this is what happens, makes war against the saints and prevails against them until, until verse 22, until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High and the time came when they possessed the kingdoms. Uh, and then to the end of it it says, but the judgment will sit and they shall take away what is his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end, speaking of the beast. So it will be consumed and destroyed and the indication is it will be done systemically because of course it's a system, systemic kingdom. So the economics will be destroyed, the military will be degraded and destroyed, the, the social order will be show, shown to be such states of such confusion and bankruptcy that it will become incoherent. So the problem with everybody doing what's right in his own eyes is that eventually everyone will turn against each other to have dominance and nothing will be unchallenged everything will challenge everything else and this will be the spirit of confusion that will weaken all these pillars on which this kingdom sits and it will collapse. Judgment will be given in favor of the saints, meaning that God will vindicate the righteousness of the saints as the only proper order by which mankind ought to have lived. And when judgment is given in favor of the saints, it simply means that God has vindicated the sufferings of the saints and established that they are the pattern. So out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth and He will do so in the increasing darkness of collapsing systems that one suppose God. And to that end it says, and the kingdom and dominion 
and greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints and of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey Him." And that takes us right into the millennial period. I will come back and address other aspects of things to be wrapped up. In this case, the thing to be wrapped up was the pulling down of the pillars, economic and social pillars, economic, social and military pillars upon which this beast, uh, this kingdom depended. We'll deal a little bit more with the destruction of its military power when we come back. I'm Sam Solon and now we'll continue our discussion when I do. See you then. Bye now.